five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. Hello, space enthusiasts. Welcome to another episode of the Space Business Podcast where we investigate all the exciting ways in which people participate in the new space economy by conversations with entrepreneurs, executives, investors, and other members of the space family. My name is Raphael Rodkin, and I'm an investor in and advisor to space companies. Just as a reminder, this podcast is for informational purposes only, and nothing should be taken as investment advice. This podcast is sponsored by Nanoavionics a satellite bus manufacturer and mission integrator. Their satellite technologies enable many space companies worldwide to offer services that improve life here on Earth, such as providing global connectivity, conducting Earth observation for various purposes, or contributing to scientific discoveries. Check them out and also check out my episode with their CEO and co-founder. Sadly, I am not a rocket scientist, but I'm an alumnus of the International Space University, or ISU, which is also our partner in this podcast. ISU offers a number of educational programs about space worldwide, ranging from executive courses lasting a few days all the way to a one-year master's. Check them out at isunet.edu. My guest on this episode of the show is French entrepreneur Nicolas Gaume. He's not only involved in one, but two space startups right now, Space Cargo Unlimited and Orbit. We will talk about both companies on this episode, but suffice to say that one of these companies has already flown bottles of French wine to the international space stations, where they currently still are, or at least for all we know. Hear all about it on my episode with Nicolas. Hey, space enthusiasts, it's time for another episode of the Space Business Podcast. Today, I'm thrilled to be with Nicolas Gaume, who is actually the founder of not only one, but two space companies. So he's going to tell us all about that. Welcome, Nicola. How are you? I'm doing great. Excited to be here, Raphael. Where are you joining us from today? I'm in Seattle, uh, so in Pacific Northwest, uh, United States of America. Oh, home, home to some uh, small space companies like Blue Origin and uh, Starlink. So we'll probably Absolutely. talk about that a little bit later. <laughs> So Nicola, usually these podcasts uh, always start um, when I interview a space entrepreneur, I ask them to give the elevator pitch on the company. Now, you're so busy in space business <laughs> that you, you don't have just have one company, you have a couple of companies, so I can't really do that with you. So we're going to start differently. I'm just going to ask, ask you to give um, your background because it's not originally a space background and, and then how you got into space. You know, I think that we all share a passion for space. So uh, like probably uh, most of your listeners, it started in a very young age. Um, and I was fortunate to be a tech entrepreneur. So I started at the age of 18 uh, with a video game company. Uh, and, you know, I, I went on and had uh, about my nine startups uh, that I uh, created or co-founded or founded. Uh, and was fortunate with some ups and downs <laughs> uh, to be uh, overall successful enough to, to start the crazy uh, space entrepreneur uh, journey uh, back in 2013. Uh, but mostly I've been doing uh, half of my uh, startups were in the consumer uh, tech, so video games, um, you know, media related, uh, and the other half was more in a commercial space. Uh, so it, it kind of taught me the agility that goes along with uh, the, the tech entrepreneurship, uh, which I think is, is a lot of applicable re recipe for, for uh, space entrepreneurship. I got, I got to open a bracket there. You mentioned video games. Do you know Richard Garriott? 
I do, yeah. Well, I look up to him. I mean, as as a kid, I was playing his game, and and suddenly, I, I, I he inspired me a lot. Obviously, his passion for space, the fact he was one of the very few to this day that I've been spending as a private um, space astronaut. So he's, he's an amazing uh, entrepreneur and an amazing uh, leader. So, and about, I've met him a few times. I don't know him personally. I gotta, uh, I guess, give a big crack around here, realizing that some listeners may not know Richard Garriott, but Richard Garriott, basically the reason I bring it up is um, he also started his career in video games, actually had some tremendously successful video games, Ult including Ultima. some uh, uh, no, the Ultima series. Is, I, that's by far the best known one. And uh, that's the source of his alter ego that he's also called uh, Lord British. Lord British. The characters, <laughs> the characters from the game. I mean, it's, it's interesting because... Um, Video games is a is a kind of a matrix. I mean, Elon Musk uh, is a great gamer, uh, yeah. and he's passionate about gaming. And he actually worked and made games himself. So I, yeah. I, I guess I'll, as a kid with Elon Africa. and Richard yeah. as as like a, a figurehead of our industry, I, I'll take that uh, as as a plus. <laughs> and then and then again for listeners, so Richard Garrett, so that's the video game side. But his father was an NASA astronaut, and then Richard followed in his footsteps and actually was one of the uh, seven private astronauts who went on a Soyuz capsule to international space station so that's the amazing sort of combination of video games and uh and space experience that's why i brought it up but i mean uh let's just stay within that open bracket of video games um that's that's obviously um there are many space related video games is that still like a space you are you're, you're watching um like are you firm a fan of kerbal or um space video games in general uh, yes i am i think i mean you know i think video games is a is a fascinating uh construct because it is it is first of all allowing you to experiment so many different things it's it's also a reflection of what uh, what is the pop culture uh, cutting edge themes and of course there's a lot of blend with sci-fi a lot of blend with uh, with you know projecting our, our humanity into the future so in many aspects and i think that when you look at what's driving elon musk or or jeff bezos uh, it, it, there's really a lot of this pop culture uh, you know from from sci-fi movies to novels to video games that that is uh, empowering them to to dare and i think that that's probably what i love, like a lot about uh, the the dynamic that we call new space, which is really this 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 very much uh, opportunity to push the frontier uh, and make it in a very intimate way. You know, in many ways, until now, um, it was a government-led, and the uh, we all remember the Kennedy uh, speech uh, for the Apollo program and all the the uh, today the, the the work, amazing work done in China by the Chinese authorities. But having this ability to think that as an entrepreneur, you can you can dare start and eventually uh, make things happen is is an amazingly uh, uh, you know, exciting moment and exciting, you know, momentum, I would say. And, you know, I, I'll, I'll close that bracket in a second, but just to finish up, I think it's interesting because as as you know, I'm very involved in, in space outreach and obviously this, this podcast is part of the space outreach efforts. But we recently ran a couple of uh, workshops, you know, with members of the community to understand, you know, how what we can do to, in terms of speed out, space outreach, to involve even more people and also the younger generation and so this idea of having like space related video games came up several times in order to get like the young generation excited about space and space concepts and our, our future in space. And and I think it's 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 working. I mean, there's already a number of very detailed technical uh, immersive experiences that are really teaching uh, space engineering in, in a very uh, effective manner. So I think that that's a great media to uh, to uh, to spread the, the the perspective of what space has to offer. 
Perfect. Okay, close bracket uh, video games. So 2013, you got involved into space. So how did, how did that journey start and where does that journey stand now? Well, anyways, I was in the moment of my life where, where, where I, I kind of exited my, my previous startups. I, I was involved in a number of projects I co-founded and I was wondering about what would be next. And in all fairness, uh, with, with more age, uh, being in my 40s, I felt uh, maybe it's the time now to do something that has a true impact. Not to say that video games or, or you know, development tools or, or web services or digital agencies do not affect uh, business and, and, and people. But I thought really I wanted to go to bring everything I learned to the next level. And, and thinking about the, the early days of the web, I felt, you know, it's interesting because Amazon uh, and other great uh, digital companies as of today could exist because infrastructure uh, prior to this existed. So, you know, Amazon would never have existed. I think Jeff Bezos said that quite regularly without credit cards, without FedEx, without uh, obviously the, the web infrastructure it was at the time and computers being spread. Uh, so he built his experience, his services among the infrastructure existence prior. And looking at what um, SpaceX and other uh, companies were, were, were building in the pace of it, I thought there was a, a sort of a unique opportunity to seize, uh, uh, to create like the, the, the best services leveraging that infrastructure. And, and I thought, you know, thinking about infrastructure being built, you could create new uh, opportunity, added value services providers. Uh, and the one that's fascinated me most was really, uh, I've always been very fascinated by the ISS as a, as a construct. I mean, it's obviously a, an amazingly uh, uh, inspiring international corporation, and it's certainly a very interesting outpost. And it's been also very, uh, very messy and very expensive. And, and, and when you look at the journey, uh, but... It, it's kind of not necessarily the, the platform that will make the future, but it has really opened so many opportunities. And one of them was um, the idea to, to look into manufacturing in space, building things in space. All the research conducted um, uh, has been phenomenal. And honestly, looking at this particular uh, track record at the time of what has been discovered, I was struck on how little commercial outcomes they were. Uh, out of these more fundamental best science research. I, 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 and, I, and digging into it, I realized that there were so many, um, uh, you know, programs that started but never com were completed. I saw there was a very scattered funding that was pretty much all over the board from very small experiments, but very iconic, uh, but not with a lot of depth, with very deep experiments uh, that couldn't sometimes not be pursued to the end because of lack of funding. I saw that digging into even further, that was very complicated to access the ISS in a reliable fashion. Um, and so all this made me think, you know, maybe there's better things to do out of these findings and what it is we could see already as an interesting opportunity uh, for um, the particular microgravity environments that that uh, that's, uh, that the ISS has recreated. And so I started coming to the idea and, and specifically getting very hooked by, by how life was affected, um, particularly by the absence of gravity. Uh, and it became kind of an obsession, um, you know, to, to discover what gravity was. Because you know, when you're on Earth, by construct, gravity is everywhere and it's everywhere the same. But when you start looking into it, you realize it's the only, only parameter of life that has never evolved since life exists on Earth. So for 4.5 billion years of life on Earth, uh, we had like variation of temperature that are enormous. There were uh, moments uh, and, you know, 
hundreds of years where we are in the complete darkness. That's probably what killed the dinosaurs. Uh, yep. So also the way that, uh, you know, humidity and, and, and other key life parameters changed, but gravity never did. So it kind of became the backbone of life uh, and everything we know as, as, as around us. And so, and, and, you know, I remember I had this conversation with Lionel Suchet, who was, was the, the CEO of the, the French Space Agency, and he, he told me, you know, the, the microgravity, the more we explore, the more we explore. <laughs> in other words, the more we explore, the more we realize we, we don't understand uh, every implication. And there's still today, even after the, all these years of research on the ISS, so many things we don't know about how uh, Earth life uh, evolves uh, in the space environment. So anyway, digging further into this, I also realized that the ISS itself had this huge challenge for uh, research and, and more advanced research and more practical research that it was this very um, close <clears throat> blending of uh, uh, humans living in a very uh, fragile environment in the ISS and the things they were doing, the experiments they were doing, the work they were doing. And, and, and I realized that um, all the protocols, all the operational matters on the ISS were always uh, leaning towards saving uh, the human lives or maximizing the chance of survival from the, the humans. And that kind of was up to the point it was kind of um, restraining considerably the opportunity to do some research. And later on, when I started uh, developing Space Cargo Unlimited, I really realized that was that was even much more complicated and difficult than I thought it was. Uh, and just to fast forward on, on the, the experience I gained with now three experiments uh, being pursued on the ISS, is like everything you do that could jeopardize the safety of human on boards is going to be forbidden. Uh, if you put some electronic equipment or electric equipment that creates a power surge, even for a a nanosecond on the uh, ISS electric system, you're going to be forbidden. If you put any kind of gas, even in so small quantities, there's no, no safety issues, but that could generate potential risk, it's going to be forbidden. So all these constraints mean that what I was seeing from, a, let's say, a space geek perspective were limited by, 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 uh, by, uh, by the architectural design of the ISS. At the same time, looking at SpaceX, looking at, at Blue Origin and, and, and others, building this pressurized space vehicle, I felt, you know, uh, free, uh, free riders, uh, you know, autonomous vehicle maybe could allow us to have more adjusted to the needs of research and potentially manufacturing in space. And probably we could do many interesting products of high value for Earth in space. So that was obviously an iteration process that took time to get there, but it became evident, uh, again, looking at what uh, space had to offer, that manufacturing things in space for Earth was an exciting uh, place to explore. So anyway, I'm giving you the perspective after six years into the journey. Uh, and obviously, as I said, um, it didn't happen like in a matter of a day, but iteration led to that, that excitement. And going back to my Amazon example, I thought, you know, the more... Blue Origin, SpaceX, and all the others will be effective in providing uh, flying options and solutions to access space and, and build a permanent setup in space, then probably I'll do more and more, uh, we'll have more and more opportunity to, to create things uh, there. And I want to be the company being able to have the, 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 you know, the deepest relationship with the space agencies, space operators as a whole to, to seize these opportunities. So that makes a lot of sense. And you said a couple of important things there that um, not everybody may be aware of, but if I had to summarize them, I'm one, the ISS, while that's an, it was and continues to be an amazing project, like you said, an amazing international corporation, which has produced so much research 
it was set up as exactly that, a shared international research lab, basically, to conduct certain experiments at small scale and certainly not at anything resembling commercial scale. So, you know, if you want to do something commercially, then arguably it is for most, at least for most applications, if not all, the, the wrong platform. I agree with you there. And of course, the other thing, which is sort of implicitly um, alluded to, is the access just used to be so expensive. So, by the way, correct me if I say any, anything wrong along the way here. But you know, while it was while it cost us ten thousand or even more dollars to lift one kilogram to low Earth orbit, even though we had a lot of research results that indicated that there might be interesting stuff to produce in space, it just never made any economic sense. It was never viable. And I guess what you're saying is that that is now changing. Yes. I mean, so first of all, I mean, in all fairness, uh, agencies starting with NASA have been very, uh, very active. On, on, on you know shifting the model to a more commercialized uh, ISS, you have amazing company like Axiom with very high ambitious plans to to create a, a sustainable environment. But you know, and maybe for for, for the, the the listener of the podcast that are less familiar, maybe we should spend a little bit of time on what it is that we can do with absence of gravity, particularly, uh, yeah. and what drove our most of our projects. But um, and then, so I guess we should park this for a second. But on, on the ISS, there's there's three different three difficult things. One, the cost, for sure, but it's massively subsidized as of today. Uh, but as we move more into a commercial environment, then you know there will be costs associated with it. But I think that it was access was also super complicated because launching a vehicle is expensive. Uh, when you have human presence, again, you're going to put supplies for the humans and you're going to make sure they're well, you know, well safe over there. So that, that means that um, in many instances I saw and I lived through the fact that some of my payloads were pushed by six months of a year just because there, there was a need to use the space to put some, you know, water or like life uh, critical equipment to the astronauts. Um, not to mention that uh, on board, again, there are these safety constraints that the humans are always going to be uh, more important than any experiment or any uh, any projects that would be there that could jeopardize the, the safety of humans. And that means that there's a very unreliable predictability. So there's there's the cost, but there's also the fact that, uh, you know, you don't know when you're going to fly and maybe it's going to take uh, time next year. Maybe it's going to be two years or three years, or maybe it's not, not going to happen. It takes five years to wait for a, a payload to get to the ISS. So for the purpose of research uh, and manufacturing. So that means that many uh, public funding uh, of, of science that's conducted is, is sometimes uh, running dry and projects never see to the completion. Um, because there's also one thing which also struck me really uh, badly is that we're such an asynchronous view uh, of the world. I mean, if you think back about the way Take life science, which is a big topic uh, of what space uh, could could really uh, uh, bring. Um, you know, the, the the way that life science used to be done in the 19th century was a very uh, the beginning of that science. It was a very uh, uh, you know, let's say, holistic approach. You would look at phenomenons and look at them from a very holistic view. Now, the more we started to understand the way bacteria worked and the way that life in general was evolving, the more we got specialized. And that's that's across you know close to two hundred years. Today, if you if you have any desire to look at bacteria, you're going to be super super specifically focused on the type of bacteria and very deep into the topic. Uh, but if you go back to to uh, the, the the years of Koch or, or, or Pasteur, I mean, they were looking at holistically and and then you know. Uh, 
Pasteur, for instance, and that's going to drive into what we're doing, by the way. Um, but when he discovered the existence of bacteria by studying wine, uh, he was looking at the way that uh, yeast, bacteria, the sugar, and this multi-component system was evolving. And you kind of get the connecting the dots and make the discovery. So now today on earth, you don't need to do that holistic view. You need to be super siloed to be effective and find anything. But when you go back to space, to this environment where you remove these fundamental uh, key factor of, of particularly gravity, and, and you have this environment with higher radiation and with a number of other factors related to, to, uh, to the low Earth orbit environment, you can see that some phenomena are accelerated and, and, and are you know, happening in a very different manner. Uh, one that is actually fascinating to me uh, is the way that uh, protein evolve. And you know, there's, there's this phenomenon called, called uh, at the atomic structure, uh, there's a phenomenon called the crystallization of, of protein. Yeah which is critical to, to build drugs and combat disease. Uh, and it's kind of central to a lot of the pharma work. And you see how protein crystallization is happening uh, in, in space. Well, it, space provides a 100% convection-free environment. That means it enhances enormously uh, the, the, the quality of diffraction and, and makes that these proteins have, have so much more effectiveness in building uh, drugs that would be so valuable to, to back to Earth. I'll tell more what I do at Space Cargo. We're very focused on agriculture and plants, and I'll tell you exactly what I do there. But again, this space environment is fascinating, and you all know, or your 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 uh, uh, listener could could check out some of these amazing startups over there. I mean, I think of Made in Space that is building this cable Ziblin, which is quite well known, which. Sure claim to be so much more conductive because when they, they manufacture the cable in space, they, they don't have this polymerization uh, factor that, that diminish the, 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 the conductivity yeah. of the cable produced. So you can see all these applications and, and back to, to the, the, the ISS construct that are limited by humans that are much difficult to, to establish at scale because of the difficulty of access. And again, at the same time, you have all these vehicles being created. And I thought, you know, free, uh, free flyer would be the opportunity. And Space Cargo Unlimited idea was to charter uh, as many vehicles as possible, adapted to the, the, the needs of manufacturing in space, and be able to build at scale this manufacturing platform uh, for Earth benefit. So let's delve a little bit deeper into the um, potential applications, because I think we should quickly talk about that. And you already mentioned Z-plans or the optical fibers and how the higher purity basically uses higher quality optical fibers in space. And that has been done by, by startups like Made in Space, at least at a certain type of scale. You mentioned the better protein crystallization, which allows us to basically design better um, drugs, better binding. Anything else you're particularly excited about? Well, um, we, uh, we Space Cargo to listen, uh, I've launched Mission-Wise, uh, which we see as the, the first uh, truly privately-led uh, commercial research program. Uh, we have six flights that we had, we had planned. We have done three already. We have three to come. Um, and really, our purpose is to think about the future of agriculture. So in a way, we're space botanists in that context. Uh, so we're looking at another facet of, 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 of the space environment. But basically, um, when you grow plants on Earth, um, agriculture techniques have evolved for the past thousands of years. But one of the, and, and if you look at the, the, the challenge that we have, we can see that after the Second World War, we really have introduced gradually more and more chemicals as much as we have industrialized uh, agriculture uh, to a point that we, on the one end, have been able to be much more productive 
which is good, but also created a number of, of side effects which are horrible to the environment. Uh, agriculture is probably one of the, the biggest uh, challenge to the to the to, 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 and one of the reasons of climate change, uh, with a lot of amazingly bad uh, consequence on, on ecosystem. You know, the fertilizers. Uh, you look at the, the Gulf of Mexico and you look at how there's no life outside the uh, you know the, the Mississippi and the Gulf of Mexico because all the the chemicals coming from all the Midwest dumped into the Mississippi going into. So it's it's dreadful. At the same time, we've created a number of disease, and certainly there's today more and more studies for the past uh, 15 years that have shown direct correlation between uh, the way we, we, we eat and grow food and grow plants. We eat uh, with um, Alzheimer's disease, with cancers of many kinds. So there's a desire to go more to organic food. There's a desire to get to, but you know, you have productivity challenges and the climate change is grieving even, even more set of challenges. So one of the hope that we have for mission-wise was to really tackle this problem and look into uh, particularly uh, the way we could have more resilient plants to climate change. You know, how do you grow uh, plants with more salt in the soil because you have less drinkable water, there's more, uh, you know, dry growth, it's it's drier land, so more salt and salt. And how do you help plants uh, be more equipped to take, to face these stressors? Um, the, the thing is, uh, stressors is part of life, and, and plants always evolve, like life in general, by the way, um, and, and really deal with these stresses on a daily basis. But the theory was of mission-wise, uh, wouldn't the greatest stresses of all, absence of gravity particularly, because it's, again, the backbone of life as we knew it, if we have uh, plants and, 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 and elements that, and life elements that survive the greatest stresses of all, absence of gravity, when back on Earth, wouldn't they be more equipped to, to deal with lesser stresses? And so we really wanted to, to try this out. And again, there was already a number of experiments being done, a number of literature published. And so we really leveraged this to establish our program. Uh, currently, uh, our, our, our chief scientist officers, Professor Michael Lebert, uh, has been one of the leading uh, scientists in, in Germany and, and a great partner, DLR, that for the past uh, 20 years have conducted a number of, uh, of these experiments on, on the ISS and in space in general um, with, uh, from the University of Erlangen, uh, FAU, uh, Erlangen, the, the microcell biology department. Uh, so we really teamed up with Michael, was, we became our chief scientist officer. We created a, a subsidiary named Space Biology Unlimited to really focus on, on this particular topic. And we decided to focus on one specific opportunity to, again, uh, establish, um, um, I would say, a space buttons program, exposing cells and plants to the space environment, bringing them back on Earth and learning more about how we could make plants more resilient to climate change. Uh, we focused pretty much on the uh, one of the segments of agriculture that is a high-value segment, the, the segment of wine. It's because probably it's, it's the most luxurious um, segment of cult, uh, agricultural product. And that means that there were yeah. also a lot of uh, investment being made and soon a lot of interesting uh, research uh, labs uh, with a lot of means. Uh, the one we partner with, and it's a key partner and the key uh, heart of our, 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 our space team, research team, is called the ISVV, uh, in French, Institut des Sciences de la Vigne et du Vin, which is mm-hmm. located in Bordeaux. And ISVV has, has probably one of the most advanced uh, wine research lab. And so by combining Michael uh, Lebert's uh, scientific leadership and deep knowledge of, of space research and the ISVV uh, deep knowledge of wine, we built that program. 
And we did three things. We started, we launched with North Rootman Cygnus uh, capsule uh, in partnership with NASA, 12 bottles of wine uh, on the ISS, which are aging right there. And are going to come back uh, with SpaceX in January. But they're still on the ISS. Yes, they're back on January. Uh, well, they're back whenever the SpaceX uh, Dragon is probably in January. Uh, they're going to be back uh, on Earth. Uh, we flew in December with Blue Origin, uh, an experiment where we expose vine cells to the stresses of climate change in the absence of gravity, uh, more salt, as I said, and we, we looked at how uh, these cells would rea did react. And, and with that, um, uh, you know, uh, iterated uh, and launched a third experiment in partnership with the, with the CNES, the French Space Agency, and the European Space Agency uh, with Dragon uh, in early March to the ISS. We sent 320 vine plants, uh, half Cabernet uh, Sauvignon and the other half Merlot, uh, which we are have right there right now on the ISS. They're also uh, ironically coming back with the same Dragon uh, and the bottles, um, fingers crossed here, uh, and they, they will come back and we will make a really uh, numerous experiments with the ISVV and Michael teams uh, along these different samples to, to really find ways that we could create more resilient vine plants and learn more about the effect of absence of gravity to the um, components of wine. Uh, and I may, I should double click on this. Uh, wine is interested because it is uh, made out of some key materials of life, bacteria, yeast, sugar. It's, it's, it's really like a m very simple multi-component biological system. So there's a lot of things we can learn from how it evolves. And we also obviously are looking at the ways we could, we could, we can learn more about the wine chemistry itself, because so surprisingly enough, you, you would be surprised to know that we only understand 20% uh, of the chemistry of wine when it makes the taste. It's very hard to understand the, the remaining 80%. That's why we continue to do uh, uh, organoleptic uh, tasting, you know, tasting by drinking the wine. Anyway, so all this has been sent. Uh, they're all coming back in January, and we have a 15 uh, uh, people's uh, strong uh, science team uh, uh, inside Space Biology Limited that is going to continue the program. And we have a, a number of other experiments we were planning to fly with other plants we'll send to space, uh, uh, you know, nurture, nurtured by the learnings of these first three experiments. Okay, I mean, I have to come to make a couple of comments here. I mean, first of all, if I was an ISS astronaut, those especially over the holiday period, th those bottles of wine would not be coming back. You would have a different experiment going on, which is the human consumption of wine on the ISS. <laughs> but I have to ask, what, what type of wine did you guys choose to send there and, and why? So we haven't disclosed the, the name of the wine, but okay. you know, it's, it's, but the, it's, the, uh, the, the grape, maybe the mix sort of. Yes, it's, it's actually we tried to get as pure with the grape, and, and we wanted a wine that we had a deep knowledge of. So we had like a lot of data uh, coming back in decades, so we could really get a, a scientific basis for our research. Um, and certainly, we wanted to make sure we also had a, um, a certain set of scientific conditions, which we'll probably unveil when we're going to tell the name of the wine later on, uh, probably early next year. There's my next question. So if the stuff comes back beginning of the year, when, when do you expect to, if you will do this, this sort of publicly disclose, um, let's say the scientific results of all of this? So 
research is research. So, you know, we're going to start the process as soon as the samples come back. We have a lot of work to do. Uh, our lab and our research team is ready. And it's research. So, you know, it's, it might take time and it's hard to predict uh, by construct. Um, but, you know, certainly because particularly in the case of the vine plant, uh, we, we, we sent, obviously, we're going to see uh, the, 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 the traditional life cycle. And so we're going to replant some of them. We're going to study uh, how... Uh, Effectively, they're resilient. I mean, they give you a fact just to, again, state the problem a little better. Uh, but <clears throat> uh, in the 1970s, when you were producing wine in Bordeaux with a given chateau uh, and use the traditional techniques of winemaking, which is so ancient by, back to uh, uh, 5,000 years of human history. Well, anyway, the wine coming out of most of the wine uh, wineries was leading to one or well, 11 to 12 degree of alcohol in the wine. Okay. And, you know, sometimes we need, and sometimes it's extremely regulated, and if not forbidden, uh, you know, some of the winemakers would add sugar to the, to the, 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 the winemaking process to accelerate, uh, you know, fermentation and, and really get to the wine uh, you, you want because there was not enough. Uh, now, in, in, the, in the grapes and in, in the entire process. Now, you go back, you fast forward to today, uh, most of the wine coming of the same soil, the same wineries are 13, 14, if not 50 deg 15 degrees of alcohol. And again, that's strictly because of climate change and because well, simply the, 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 the grapes are, are more sugary. And that's what led to this. If you project yourself at this space in 23 years, you may have uh, wine that are reaching, I don't know, 17, 18, 20 degree of alcohol, they won't be wine anymore. Uh, and so for this industry that is billions of dollars of euros, um, you know, it's a, it's a real challenge. So you need to replant uh, most of these vine with more resilient uh, plants. Uh, there's also a, a numerous new uh, challenges coming along with, with some parasites, some, some uh, mycosis, like, you know, mildew. Mildew is a disease that we don't still know how to fight properly. Uh, and yeah. that combined with the fact that we want less chemicals uh, is, is really a challenge to have more resilient vine plants and solutions for the future of agriculture. And what we're doing, by the way, again, in, in vine, obviously we intend to grow to the entire agricultural. We start with vine again, because it's one of the high value uh, agricultural vertical. And so we could really benefit from the amazing uh, knowledge of uh, ISVV, our, our research partner, uh, to, to really fast forward opportunities. But we do intend to everything we discover and find. First, we intend to publish a lot. Uh, so we already, had, we already published one paper. We have a second one coming along based on our first uh, research uh, as we want to give back to, to the, the scientific community and, and make this space opportunity become really much more known and leveraged. Um, and then we're going to really apply everything we find to, to more mainstream uh, uh, agricultural products needed for human uh, uh, consumption and for feeding humanity. Like soy and corn and... Uh, Absolutely, things, tomatoes so. and, and a lot of things. Actually, Michael sent, uh, before working together, he sent uh, with DLR uh, satellite with tomatoes plants, uh, which are still orbiting uh, as of now, I think. I guess, first of all, one question I have to ask, when those bottles of wine come back, what's your plan? Are you going to have a taste or are you going to auction? You should auction those off, I guess. You might get a good price from some. <laughs> We're looking at options, but again, the primary goal is research. So you know, we, we, we did, we're going to do, we have very strict protocols. We do are going to go do the organoleptic testing because again, there are things you cannot assess from a pure chemistry, chemistry and, and, you know, uh, uh, genetic approach. Uh, so we will, we'll taste one with a very rigorous protocol, uh, uh, 
of wine tasting. And, and then most of the bottles are going to be uh, actually uh, used for, for analysis, uh, chemical analysis mainly, but also, uh, and we're going to do a ton of experiments uh, starting in January. So what we are looking at is really uh, how, how, how the absent ready will affect taste and some more of the uh, interesting uh, dynamic at play uh, that we could leverage uh, moving forward. I mean, what, one of the intent that we have is to be able to grow plants effectively with a climate change earth uh, as much as really create new opportunities, but also look at how taste, uh, I mean, you, you, I, I didn't mention that earlier, but I grew up in a restaurant in the southwest of France. I should have mentioned that because it'd be an interesting mm -hmm. segue into my other startups. Uh, but, but, you know, it, it's, it's, my dad was a chef. So I think that not only do I want, hopefully, uh, plus I'm French, so I guess it comes along with it, but I want people to be able to yeah. feed themselves tomorrow. I also want them to feed with proper food, with good taste. So that's also why we have this holistic view of, of, the, of the challenge of uh, uh, the future of agriculture on a warmer earth. Yeah, and um, I'll come back to that in a second. I just forgot, I, um, I realized I forgot to mention. Um, so for anybody who's interested in this whole, exploring this whole topic of wine in space a bit more, there's also... And, and Nicola, you may notice uh, there's actually an American guy, Chris Cranberry, who has actually written a book called Alcohol in Space, Past, Present and Future. Yes. <laughs> which I recently I, discovered. I don't know you read it. And, and Chris and I uh, became friends. And, and actually, it's unfortunate. We actually disclosed the program and, and we made public this, this uh, experiment for the Bottles of Wines on the Space Station after he published his book, right after. But anyway, it's, it's a great book to read. And I do encourage your, reader, your listeners to read it. Absolutely. So I, clo I close the bracket on sort of the, the alcohol part here because, as you said, this this is this has a much broader, much more uh, much, yeah, much bigger that, significance. Yeah, other elements of, of what alcohol in space exactly. is exactly really about human activities in space and 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 on future planets. So our obsession is really what do we bring back to Earth to to help future of humanity on Earth, and we're very grounded into uh, Earth as our, our as our main mothership, which we take care, we should we really respect much more, take care, and, and look forward to. You know, protecting the future. So I want to tie this back to the the actual business. So Space Cargo Unlimited, and as I understand it, uh, Space Biology Unlimited is a subsidiary of Space Cargo Unlimited. So what is your vision for Space Cargo Unlimited? What will that company be doing? Space in Cargo Limited again. Uh, we, I mean, mission wise, is kind of a pilot project. Uh, I, I hate to use pilot because it's very grounded and there's a lot of investment in it. But anyway, it's our first project to demonstrate that you can have a commercially driven uh, intent-driven, outcome-driven research program. Uh, and even though it's research, going back to your earlier question, but it is really uh, driven by outcomes, by the, uh, the, the desire to find solution for uh, tomorrow's agriculture, thanks to space. And we want to prove that there's a future there. So as we discovered more uh, outcomes, uh, we definitely want Space Biology Limited to become uh, agri-tech startup, the first space agri-tech and really develop techniques. And we certainly feel that there, and we already have a number of uh, deep engagement with a number of agricultural uh, organizations around the world to, to, uh, to grow uh, with the knowledge we have, with an amazing team we gathered in Germany and in France, uh, the future of, of uh, you know, agriculture. So that's, that's definitely a, um, think about it as a biotech or agritech. You know, we, we intend yeah. to, based on the merits of our discovery, raise fund and continue our research. And we'll live in partnering with, with uh, the industrial agricultural complex to see uh, how we could provide species that would be uh, organically more suited to the future of, of, of Earth uh, or specific outcomes dealing with some of these diseases like mildew. In, in the, in the okay. Patch. So this is almost if I understand this correctly, you'll be... 
you'd be like um you could make money ultimately by providing let's call it like instead of genetically modified seeds sort of like uh, the opposite uh, yes. space 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 modified uh space i don't know yeah. optimized um yeah, it's organic organically modified with the specific condition of space i mean i want to make sure it's super clear to people listening to you to to us i mean we are really the opposite of genetically modified uh, organism we really wanted nature to let us show us the way and you know uh modifying the gene we know as a ton of risk and threats and we have a lot of reasons to be concerned so we really going the opposite way saying hey nature has done amazing so far let's let let us let her continue and what if you look at most of the discoveries and the uh, the, the the simple and humble and respectful iteration that humanity has done on agriculture it's always by stressing plants and if you look at permaculture permaculture uh, which is very, you know, <laughs> optimized cultural uh, technique uh, of agriculture today. It's really using stress, um, you know, to 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 enhance some qualitative, naturally uh, uh, natural quality and natural evolution. So really, looking at the absence of gravity, this backbone of life, as one of the main stressors that could accelerate natural evolution and made this natural evolution provide more. Uh, resilient plants to climate change is really the what what is behind the entire construct and we have published the first paper on this we have others coming as i said uh, so i'd be happy to, to provide the links you can find them also on our website uh, space-cu.com uh, over there so we want to do more of that uh, as we see hopefully good results uh, and there's a number of experiments done in China and in America uh, that, that have shown uh, the very grounded uh, merits of that approach. We want to bring it at scale. We want to do it effectively. So that's indeed the, the future of Space Biology Limited. Now, as for Space Cargo Limited, we see ourselves as a you know orchestrator of, of flights and mission of such. So we really intend to grow the the, the expertise and knowledge that we we have in the company to to partner uh, with uh, space operator of, of multiple kinds, public and space agencies. We have a very strong relationship with the French Space Agency, the European Space Agency, and are fortunate to have a great ongoing relationship with NASA, uh, as much as work with with uh, space uh, operators of different kinds. Uh, obviously, uh, the the space uh, company like SpaceX Blue Origin and and great partners like NanoRacks in the US, we, we enjoy working immensely with. And so we, and you know, other agencies we're discussing with uh, in Russia, in, in, the, in China and, and elsewhere. So, you know, I think that Space Cargo intends to, as we show the merits of manufacturing space, seize more opportunity of different kinds uh, to develop new projects and, and continue to grow, um, uh, you know, and, and demonstrate the, the, the benefits of uh, space to earth. I want to take this uh, to a slightly different angle because we've been talking implicitly, I guess, about the potential advantages of microgravity for manufacturing better products, so to say, or products that could help life on Earth. So that's one direction. There's, of course, the other, the other direction as well, which I know you're also excited about, which is sort of humans going out into space. And, and what does microgravity do to humans? Is, I, I assume that's something you're thinking about as well, right? I am, but honestly, um, you know, you need to choose your your, your focus, and, and our focus is really back to Earth. Uh, we, we know very much geared towards the overview effects. Actually, it's also one of the reasons I, I kind of came across the other startup we created, uh, Orbit. Uh, but, you know, we think that space gives you 
so many opportunities to appreciate how fragile and how amazing Earth is and how much we protect it. And it can also find, again, solutions for our future. Doesn't mean I'm not, as, as a space fan, obviously excited about um, becoming a multi-planetary uh, species and exploring space, absolutely. But as for our, 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 our my projects and, and the companies I'm fortunate to have created, I'm really focused on back-to-Earth benefits. Okay, that's that, that's fair enough. Um, there's a number of questions that excite me, or I find very interesting. Sort of like, how can we, in the end, oh, maybe or maybe not? And I'd be happy to talk about them as as as. Yeah, as, no, 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 that's, that, that, that's that, that, that's fine. Um, I I totally respect that you as an entrepreneur are, are focused, and and that's our entrepreneurs should be focused on what they're doing. Um, so we leave we leave those other questions for a future space medicine episode of the podcast, which I promise will be coming up because I'm very interested in that. So, but you did already mention now Obeat, which is your other startup, because again, you're I think you're the first guest on this podcast who actually doesn't only have one space startup but two. So now I actually will ask you the question I typically ask, which is, what is Orbit? What is the elevator pitch on Orbit? So, you know, um, so Orbit goal is to train the, the commercial uh, astronaut of tomorrow. So, you know, be able to be a, a, the place where, where anybody interested in flying into space, a suborbital, orbital, and, 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 and deeper space uh, to train and prepare for their journey. As we can see, obviously, uh, with recent flight from SpaceX uh, and an amazing success from SpaceX, um, you know, Dragon and, and, and Starship will provide many opportunities for people to go to space. Uh, we have obviously the exciting suborbital uh, companies, Virgin Galactic and and, uh, and Blue Origin, working on exciting opportunities. We have a company like Axiom building a space hotel uh, attached to the ISS, and you can think about what's the future. So we really felt it was important to create a, a place where we could uh, train and prepare uh, mentally and effectively to the to the journey. Um, so in the same way that you know every adventure is a is a is a is a teamwork, and I was fortunate to uh, to start Space Cargo limited with Emmanuel Chipa, my partner and, and, and wine expert. Um, I also was very fortunate to start uh, Orbit with Jason Andrews, a well-known and very highly respected uh, entrepreneur, space entrepreneur. We created Andrews Space, uh, Space Flight Industries, Black Sky, and Leo Stella in partnership with Telesenia mm -hmm. Space. So he has a very extensive background in the space industry. And, you know, it started by going simply to uh, launch sites in the U.S. and realizing that... Um, Uh, all these launch sites at, at, were military base. So surrounding the military base, yep. there was very, uh, you know, nice hotels, but, you know, very, <laughs> yeah, days in and best Western. Uh, and it struck me uh, being fortunate to own a hotel in the southwest of France uh, that is a boutique hotel that, that welcome, um, you know, uh, uh, demanding clientele of, of, uh, of, of, of you know, uh, higher-end price uh, uh, hotel. Uh, fans that, that, you know, if you were offering, uh, 200,000, 300,000, uh, suborbital flights or millions of tens of millions for orbital flights, you wouldn't want to stay in a day's in, uh, <laughs> while training. You don't have an experience that is matching this, this kind of investment. And this also make justice to what it is to go to, to space. And I think the privilege to have talked to a lot of astronauts, Uh, you know, referring back to the overview effect on how humbling it is to go to space and how mentally you need to prepare. I thought, you know, maybe we should really find a way to take the best of hospitality, the best of training and the best of space uh, uh, industry expertise to create a, uh, an environment where you could have 
top-notch space training programs, best hospitality at the heart of, 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 of the relevant space, um, uh, space sport. And so all that combined together led me to a team of the Jason to build that particular place, which we will have the best of training, uh, the best of hospitality, and the best of the blended, uh, let's say, uh, you know, mental and spiritual journey as much as physical training that would get you to enjoy your space experience, whether it's with suborbital, orbital, or beyond. And that's really the, 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 the basis of Orbit. And so we managed to secure an amazing location, which we'll be disclosing next year. So currently, we, we only said it was in the US. Uh, we managed to create an amazing team uh, with Brian Roms that has been uh, amazing, we trained more than 700 astronauts so far. Uh, and, and as a deep expertise of space training. And Jason and I have assembled an amazing amount of, of, of team people, including Sophie Stabil, former CFO of Aco Hotel Group. Uh, and again, my own expertise uh, in, the, in, the, in the hospitality business to create, again, a, a hopefully what will become an iconic location for any uh, space traveler to come. Just to be clear, so this is, this is for purely for astronaut training, or would other people also be allowed to? To go there. So the, 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 so basically we're building a, a hotel with a space training. We call it the, the space gateway complex. Uh, so it, it's primarily focused on, 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 you know, accommodating, uh, the, 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 the people training for space journey and, and their yeah. family and friends. Now, you know, it's, it's a location where you could go and we'll have restaurants, we'll have, uh, uh, hotel rooms. But again, the primary focus is indeed, uh, for, for training our, 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 our uh, future space, uh, commercial space, uh, travelers. Okay. And so it doesn't necessarily have to be next to a launch site. It doesn't have, but we felt it was, it was better to be close to the, the where the actions take place. Okay. There are multiple sites around, around the U.S. And I think it's, you know, it's important to be close to, uh, to, to, to these places. Okay, so yeah, it sounds certainly like, um, I mean, we're talking about Richard Garriott, and from what I remember, he, he I mean, obviously he went to train in Star City, and then he was staying probably at an equivalent of a day's in in Baikonur. Absolutely, <laughs> so, yes. That's why we want to up, up, upscale, uplift. Certainly for, at least in the near term, and, and you know, me as a space investor, I'm, I actually like space tourism as an investment theme a lot. Um, so this is so all what it is. We're like, we want to be the go-to uh, organization for space tourism, uh, and really, uh, we, we, we want to be as broad as possible because we could anticipate we would be able to train uh, um, maybe some agencies that do not have the equipment uh, and again be able to provide also to the industry uh, a unique place to you know to 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 grow the the space industry. So we're really putting the best of efforts. We have an amazing team of architects, which we also disclose next year, um, working on an amazing location. And, and I think that hopefully we'll create an iconic uh, hub for the future. And we want to do this for every single uh, space company to leverage. And certainly we, we feel that, uh, uh, you know, SpaceX, Virgin, Axiom, uh, Virgin Galactic and others will, will leverage our, our, our location and our programs and our uh, training complex to, to really uh, bring the industry and the opportunity further down the line uh, immensely. At least that's our focus, Jason Andrews and I, uh, in this project. So I can certainly understand that at least if we talk about orbital space tourism, you know, where, again, some, somewhere in the future, I hope as many people as possible will be, will be able to go up because of the overview effect. But I guess at least in the near, near term future, because of the sub supply demand mismatch, that there's just not a lot of vehicles around that can take you up to space. It's going to stay a relatively ex expensive proposition. Like, you know, the, I think the price on the Axiom is $55 million for memory. So I kind of, 
totally understand that the person who spends 55 million bucks doesn't want to stay at the day's end. But so from the technical training perspective, is, is, is NASA fine with that, that they, the training would happen outside of NASA facilities? So, you know, what is interesting is that when uh, SpaceX uh, flew uh, recently uh, a crew to, uh, to the SS, they had NASA trained astronauts and, and NASA will continue yeah. to train uh, their astronauts like ESA does and like, like JAXA does and so on. So we do not intend to replace uh, at all the existing facility. We just feel there's a need to prepare more holistically and in many ways, you know, uh, to, to be, uh, to be uh, able to find space and enjoy it again as, as, as more of a commercial choice, space tourism, as you said. You know, you need to also be mentally prepared. Uh, that means you need to also have physical preparation, mental preparation. So we really look at, at that as extreme sport adventure. I mean, if you want to go on the top of the Himalaya or, or go through the Atlantic uh, in, in a boat, or you really want to get prepared uh, with a lot of physical and psychological. And so all these elements we think as part of the training, then we will have all the equipment you would expect, uh, best-in-class uh, centrifuge, best-in-class mock-ups, best-in-class, uh, uh, you know, Every, everything to really make sure the training is up to speed. And we definitely expect to have a relevant certification uh, to be able to uh, be uh, recognized as an official training center uh, to answer your question. Uh, and now we see that as one of many, there are other locations, there are already existing companies doing training. Uh, so there's not that we're going to be the only one, but what we want is to do a place that is unique because it kind of has this very complete, very deep, holistic view. Now we will start with, with higher end clientele for the reason you explained, tickets are expensive, but we also have, we really have plans as we grow our sites and our operations to expand to a much more affordable uh, training package. And to be fair, we will have uh, much lighter training uh, that will be offered for the general public to experiment what it is to become a, a, an astronaut. And we intend to have package by the day, by the week, uh, not entertainment package, really prep package, uh, but that will be open for for uh, for a more general public at much more affordable price. Because we are indeed uh, looking forward to the days of, of Starship from SpaceX and others that will bring down the cost uh, in an in an exciting manner to really uh, you know get uh, space accessible to as many as possible. And when you look at where uh, SpaceX want to go or where Blue Origin or Virgin Galactic want to go, I think this is this is definitely the way we we see the industry moving forward. Um, and so I didn't mention that we are planning to open uh, by 2023, 2024, uh, and we, 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 you know, we, we intend to, to, to start, you know, uh, our activities sooner than that, just because we feel there's a demand and many opportunities to, be, to, to start now. Mm. And so let me ask you the other way around. So, yes, I asked you about sort of the NASA training and their requirements, and that's, you mentioned, like the centrifuges and that sort of astronaut tra training that we intuitively imagine comes in. Is that something you guys will be doing that maybe isn't necessarily either part of traditional training or at least not a well-known part of traditional training? Like you've, you've mentioned now the overview effect and the psychological preparation. I mean, is there even space for, I don't know, philosophical, psychological, even spiritual preparation? I mean, we, we, we're not a proselytist. We want to make, create something, an environment where, where people will, will, will follow their own journey, their own path. Uh, and again, people will go to space for different reasons. Uh, some may seek for a very spiritual path. Some will just have a, a adventure of a lifetime. Some will be more interested by the, the you know, the, the science space of it. Uh, we just want to make sure that we are prepared to enjoy, you know, 
all the aspects, all the facets of the experience. So, you know, at the end of the day, the main important thing is all the training that exists today are very functional. They're very related to a, you know, to military grade approach of things. We, and, and, you know, most of the astronauts have some kind of military background or training, physical training. So we really want to make sure we, we do start with a, with the basics of philosophical, psychological, uh, you want to know yourself, uh, you want to know how you react. So we have a number of uh, uh, coaches that come, you know, one of our coaches has been training uh, nuclear submarine staff for, for decades. Um, and, you know, when you're locked up in a nuclear submarine for a month, uh, you cannot communicate outside, you have, a you have a nuclear weapon on board and you don't know exactly what's happening out there. Uh, that requires a very specific preparation which we, we think we can learn from to be better prepared uh, to be uh, flying in a small uh, vehicle uh, for, for days or weeks. Uh, you know, there's some dietary uh, requirements. You know, again, when you're going to be, and each person is different, you know, you, you may have a different reaction to, uh, to G's and, and uh, your dietary uh, experience, experience might be adjusted to you and tailored to you. And so maybe to a professional astronaut as of today, uh, we're going to ask much more efforts because they are, you know, they have, they have a military standard, if I may use this term in, in, a, in a positive way, by the way. But, you know, you're asking mm -hmm. the astronaut to make the efforts to adjust. The more you go into a tourism, you're going to go into a, a elements of enjoyment that are not factored in as much for the current training programs that exist. And that's where we come into play because we want to make sure you have enough knowledge about your body, yourself, to understand when you need to eat that type of dish you know, with sugar or salt or water hydrate uh, and take the right you know uh, balance practice hygiene to get ready for the flight enjoy the flight the most um, and again this is much broader than being trained technically on how to operate this particular uh, vehicle or behave in this very particular situation we really want to have a holistic approach because we're going to offer space travel to um, non-specialists per se and this remains an adventure with many risks and many challenges. So we want to make sure we, 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 again, we lower the bar without compromising anything on the safety and making sure, again, it's an enjoyable experience no matter what. Nicola, we, we could go on about your both of these businesses for hours, but uh, I'm afraid we have limited time in, in the podcast as always. So I want to ask you a couple of other questions to make sure I get them in. So one is just sort of, you know, between those two businesses, but also sort of your, your view of space in general. Where do you think this is all going in like, you know, 10, 20, 30 years time? And where would you like to see like space, humanity in space, the interaction of humanity in space going in that time frame? What's your hope, your vision? I, you know, it, it's a hard question because I think that everybody has a point of view and I don't want to add one. I mean, I think there are very educated people and certainly you have, you have maybe a better view than I have, but I can tell what I'm trying to pursue with Jason Andrews on, uh, on uh, Orbit and all the team there and with Space Cargo Limited with Emmanuel Chapar and all, all the team there. I really want to see uh, space for Earth. That's how you got, that's where, where I'm grounded in. Uh, and I think that space um, give us a perspective and going back to the overview effect, uh, Point. I think that we still are very, and the pandemic, the pandemia today just show us that we are a fragile species. We still have, uh, you know, a lot of challenges ahead of us, and and better understanding who we are, better understanding what we can do in in a more symbiotic view of of the fragile environment Earth represents. Well, space has a lot to offer us on that journey, and I really want to see space to allow us to have this 
more grounded view of who we are as, as a species, as, 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 uh, as individuals, and, and find more of a path to our future. Now, as we move forward, I'm excited because I was nurtured by this science fiction and, and space movies um, to, to have uh, life on Mars, to uh, explore uh, more distant planets, um, you know, invent new technology uh, to, to, uh, to uh, power uh, our exploration. Uh, and and that, that is obviously an immense opportunity. And I think that human, humanity always made progress when it was pushing itself uh, to the next frontier. And so I'm a strong believer that space is the ultimate place to discover uh, the future of science and technology. And, and I'm excited by that. And I like that you already mentioned, the, the, you made a segue to science fiction, which is always where we finish up on these podcasts. So, Nicola, do you like science fiction? And, and if yes, what are some of your favorite science fiction works? It could be anything. It could be movies, books, TV series, games. I'm, I'm a very, very classic. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a very uh, Star Wars kind of guy. So, for sure, I, I, I love everything about Star Wars. And then I'm, I'm really... Uh, <laughs> quite a deep geek. I think I read all the books that were published, played all the role-play games, played all the video games, and obviously seen each movie a uh, hundred times. And, and so that, that's definitely a, a cornerstone that I'm... As for the books, I really uh, started my journey in sci-fi when I read uh, Dune when I was uh, eight or nine years old, I think, nine, nine something. Uh, I grew up on, the, on, on a sand dune in the southwest of France. I'm, uh, I come from a, a place named Arcachon, Uh, on the southwest of France, and uh, and I literally grew up on on the on the sand dune that is 110 meters high. Uh, so you know, I got into dune because it was sand, and was, and then I really got hooked uh, by a lot of the concepts and and uh, and a lot of the thoughts and ideas, including some some perspective on life, which probably you hear in what I what forged my path into space entrepreneurship today. So dune, dune is an absolutely amazing book. I, I hope you. I, I hope it's a love here, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I hope you didn't get uh, scared of like potential sandworms or anything on the <laughs> on the big dune. Um, that's uh, that's actually the movie I think is coming out soon. The, yes, the we're all waiting for it. But I get unfortunately, movie these days is a uh, yeah, uh, yeah. We'll, we'll have to wait for movie theaters to open again, but uh, can't wait. Well, I can't, I can't wait to see what uh, Space Cargo Unlimited is doing. I can't wait to, you know, see the scientific results of your missions. Um, I also can't wait to see the um, the Orbit facility open up and maybe there's a way to combine the businesses, you know, maybe uh, for the for the high net worth uh, astronauts, we can serve some wine that has been uh, <laughs> aged uh, in space <laughs> or something like that. But Nicolas, thank you so much for your time. Um, thanks for all the work you're doing for the space ecosystem. And again, best of luck with, with your projects. Thank you so much, Raphael, for having me, and, and thanks so much for your kind words. Well, that's it for another nominal episode of the Space Business Podcast. If you like this podcast, please consider giving it a five-star rating on your favorite podcast platform, such as iTunes. You can follow us on Twitter at podcast underscore space. Also consider supporting us at www.patreon.com forward slash spacebusinesspodcast. If the podcast got you interested in learning more about the business opportunities in the space economy, check out my new online course on space entrepreneurship on udemy.com. The link is in the episode description. Lastly, if you have any feedback, including ideas for guests, and that may include yourself if you have an exciting space story to tell or interested in being a sponsor, drop us an email at spacebusinesspodcast at gmail.com. I look forward to seeing you for the next episode.